Hello, Sober Town. Let's jump on that sober train and ride into the wonderful world of sobriety. You can find all our podcasts and more at SoberTownPodcast.com. My name is Bill W. and my co-host and partner is Kira. Hello. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Uncovering Happiness podcast. Our hope for this podcast is to share stories about uncovering happiness so that you might do the same in your life. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest today, Michelle. Michelle has been an experiential facilitator for over 30 years and has had her own experiential facilitation business called Training Wheels for 22 years. She's written several books in the team building field She has her own podcast called Ask Michelle and Chris About Team Building, and I have been a fan of Michelle's for quite a few years now. I first learned about Michelle when I was an experiential therapist and was looking for ideas for experiential activities. We had the pleasure of meeting Michelle at the Therapeutic Adventure Professionals Conference last month in Park City, Utah. Michelle was the keynote speaker or I guess I should say play note, because it was very experiential and super fun. And that was when we asked her to be a guest on our podcast. And she said, yes. So before we begin, we start our podcast with a moment for mindfulness and a moment of silence to transition from whatever we were doing before to this present moment, and also to remember the people that we've lost to addiction or suicide, and to send out compassion and hope for those who are touched by the suffering of mental illness and addiction, also to send some self-love for ourselves. So let's just take a moment now together. Okay. Thank you so much. Hi, Michelle. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, we are going to jump right in with the first question. All right. We ask everyone this question to kick off the podcast and the conversation. What does uncovering happiness mean to you? Ooh, that is such a great question. I love that. Uh, you know, I've always been one that has, I grew up with a very fun family. So if I, I'm one of those odd people that would actually go back and do their childhood over again, because it was fantastic. I had fun parents. I grew up on a farm in Kansas and uh, we were pretty remote. Um, and so we, you know, my parents used to just make up games when like to go do chores and things like that they would always throw it, they would just make it fun. They would throw in some sort of game to make it, like whether it be a competition, who could carry buckets of water faster than, you know, whatnot. I have two brothers, at the time when I was a kid, I had two older brothers and then one younger sister. And then after we got a little bit older, we had uh, two additional siblings join our group. And, uh, but, but they just, they made it fun. So from an uncovering happiness point of view, I've always looked for the fun in everything I do. And that makes me happy. I love that. Yeah. That makes me so happy. And uh, my, I think I came from a really fun family too. How about you, Bill? I did. I did. It's uh, it's really awesome to hear that 
you grew up making games out of chores and now you still make games out of chores and life and that's <laughs> super exciting <laughs> yeah i think that's really fun um and it's it's something that i completely agree with you about that happiness comes from a playful being able to be playful about life whatever the circumstances Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even now, like conflict resolution, not necessarily the most fun topic to yeah. talk about, right? And yet I help a lot of teams and a lot of organizations through conflict, but we do it through an experiential game. So we surface the, the behaviors or the topic or whatever through some sort of experiential activity or game that matches whatever the content is that we're teaching. And so, and what I have found is that when people are at play, they are their natural, true selves. It's like, we can't even help it. Like if you're playing a game, you the way you show up in the game is the way you show up in life. And so for me, that right there, I wanna capture that. I wanna capture people in those aha moments. So that way we could talk about what just happened, why that's important and how does that impact those around me? but we're doing it in a way that is fun and engaging. So, because again, like conflict resolution, not a fun topic to address. And yet there's a lot of learning that can be had when we are having fun while we're doing it. Absolutely. And I know that you have a foundation in adventure therapy. Um, so we have a lot in common and that's one of my favorite things. Now, adventure therapy isn't always fun. It's something right. really far out of your comfort zone or is, or is new. But so many times it is a very fun activity. And I love when um, the, my fellow facilitators or fellow therapists are engaging in the activity with me alongside the clients because it's such a great equalizer. Because just like you said, like we all, you know, we become kind of our true selves when we're playing and it strips away so many of those, um, you know, stories about our differences mm -hmm. and, and really just... I think there's there's something to be said about when clients see me engaging in a game or laughing and it helps them to feel more comfortable in their own skin. Absolutely. And it's not new. Like it's been around a long time. In fact, one of my favorite quotes that really kind of taps into experiential education and the longevity of it is was a quote by Plato who was you know, he's been gone a pretty long time, right? <laughs> you know, and so, but his quote is, I can learn more about a person in an hour of play than a lifetime of conversation. And, yeah. and I totally believe that to be true. So even, you know, you know, all those years ago, we, you know, they, they knew the same thing and they didn't have technology and distractions like we have today. And, and yet it was still the same, th same thing is that when people are at play, they are their natural true selves. Oh, I love that. And I feel like that's the place where we start to find true happiness, especially mm -hmm. if it's been lost or never found. Yep, agreed. So I have a question for you. Okay. In this virtual world, how has that affected your teachings, your trainings? How, you know, what can people out there do to, to help bring that childhood like feeling out when we spend so much time? On Zoom. Online. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when the pandemic first hit, I uh, I had never led a Zoom meeting or, a, you know, any type of virtual meeting very much. Like maybe I'd done a couple, but it was not like, I would not say that was one of my strengths or skill sets that I had in my repertoire. 
And so, you know, as soon as, you know, the world shut down, I thought, I just put out in my newsletter, I thought, you know what, I'm going to host one of these Zoom things and I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show like, here's some activities that I think would work in the virtual space. And again, I had never led a Zoom meeting before ever in my life. And I had 492 people show up to the very first Zoom meeting that I had ever led. Wow. I was totally freaked out. I was like, come, cool, collected on the outside. On the inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all the people. What am I doing? Like, I, you know, like I was totally freaking out on the inside. And then the following week, I thought, well, that went really well. Maybe I'll, I'll really dive in. I'm like, okay, what can I do? Like, what can we do as facilitators to make sure that we are diving into connection, making sure that we're staying connected with people in the virtual space before we dive into whatever content it is that we are about to teach. So the following week, 998 people showed up. The following week, 3,500 people showed up. And the following week, 6,900 people registered for the workshop. So clearly this was a global, you know, something, and it was, you know, it was people from over a hundred countries that were all tapping in as well. So it was, it was crazy to be, have to be an expert in something I had never done before on a global level. So it was really, it it really stretched me and pushed me. I would call it type two fun, right? Like, Like at the time it was like so stressful. And now I look back, I'm like, that was amazing. You know, that, you know, that many people were searching and looking for it. And so from that, I, it really, it tapped into a, an internal creativity bug that I hadn't had in a long time. Cause I've, I've been facilitating for a long time and this was something that I knew would really stretch me. And so I kind of avoided it. Cause I'm like, it's just so good to do it in person. We don't need to do this virtual stuff. And then of course, when push comes to sub and you have to do virtual stuff, then I was like, okay, let's, Let's make it happen. Let's re- let's make it fun and not just fun, but also meaningful. So mm-hmm. I actually now have a whole page on my website that I call the virtual playground. And it is a free place for people to bring their teams to play and connect in the virtual space. So there's icebreaker questions. There's debriefing questions. There's an interactive dice. I call them dice breakers. So there's <laughs> like, you know, you roll an interactive dice and then like if the number four comes up, then you would answer on an image that's on the screen you know, dice question number four. And, uh, and so there's, there's dice breakers, there's dice debrief questions, um, there's movement activities, there's leadership questions and debriefing questions. So I'm like, I just wanted a safe place that was ad free, <laughs> that nobody got trapped into downloading something weird on their computers or anything like that. And and just provide a place for people to connect. So, so that's been one of my give backs to the world. And, and one of those things that for me is just really true to who I am at my core. I like to provide experiences for people to step outside their comfort zone, learn something new about themselves or their teams or other people in their groups and, uh, and, you know, and, have, and have fun and dive into that connection before content. Learn something new about yourself and others. Yeah, that's uh, great. <laughs> I, I love the connection before content. When I heard you first say that, it was like the brightest light bulb went off in my head mm-hmm. that I've ever had in the past 10 years. And it's just like, I'm in the business world all the time and you just get bombarded, bombarded with content. I mean, you yeah. know, content, 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 and nobody cares who you are. Right. And I want to know who you are. Like, if I don't know who you are, I'm not going to want to work with you. Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. But if you're the worst person in the world, I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I wish I would have coined the phrase, you know, but it was, uh, 
I got the quote from Peter Block, who, you know, he's written a New York Times bestseller book, but, you know, he has a quote that says, without relatedness, no work can occur. That connection before content is so necessary. And that doesn't, it, I mean, it doesn't matter what meeting you're in, whether it's like, all right, let's go over the quarterly numbers at your corporate, like whatever, right? Like, let's, let's take five minutes and just like get to know one another. And, you know, even if it's been someone you've been working with for 20 plus years, you're still going to be able to find things you don't know about them. And the more connected we are as humans, then the better work we can do together as humans, no matter what that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's so true. And I've been using that in every part of my life when I'm interacting with somebody in my business now. It's just like, okay, who is this person? Let me talk to them. Let me see what I can offer to them first as a person. Like, hey, what can I help you with right now? Like, you're probably struggling with something. If I can help you with it, I will. Awesome. That way I don't have to like pitch because naturally they're going to be like, oh, who is this person? What are they, what do they want? And I don't really want anything other than to help. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and other than just humanizing and being warm and relationship building, it makes sense that you would want to connect with someone. Otherwise, what content are you going to deliver and how are you going to deliver it that's Mm -hmm. going to actually speak and be meaningful to a person? Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Awesome. All right, moving on here. Next question. So who are you now? Where are you on your journey to uncover happiness? Ooh, so good. So, you know, what's funny is I am turning 50 this January and I have always been the per- a type of person I love getting older. I, I really do. It just, I think it's fun. Um, I don't look my age. So therefore, you know, you get the whole like, what, you're going to be 50. And so anyway, there's of course that little play like, that's right. I'm going to be 50. Um, <laughs> but what's funny is, you know, as it's starting to get closer, the part of me that internally I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm turning 50. And if you retire at 60 or 65, I'm like, I feel like I have a short runway all of a sudden of like, what do I want to finish doing in this world in my work professional career before it's over? So for me, it actually, it just lights a fire in me even more. I'm like, God, there's still so much good we can do in the world that uh, I, like my husband and I, because, and he actually turns 15th in January, also we're the exact same age. Well, he's three weeks older than me. And so he always, for those three weeks, he's like, well, because I'm older and wiser, um, you know, like, which is, you know, one of those funny things we do. But, um, but now I'm just like, okay, we need to have like this massive big business planning meeting and whatnot. And he really helps draw out of me, like what is in my brain and what I want to do. We, he, he, we have this fabulous process that we do called going into inquiry. And so basically what that means is all he can do is ask me questions. He can't throw in his own opinions, ideas, and things like that, because there it's not about me and what I want to do. It's then, you know, bringing in an alternate voice that might change my story or my direction. So that's kind of our code phrase is if, if the other one of us just needs to brain dump, then we say, Hey, will you go into inquiry with me? And then, then that shifts our mode of thinking from he wants my opinion or, you know, and vice versa to question, 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 question. You can't offer your own stuff. So we're mm. about to do that actually within the next couple of weeks, because uh, for me, I'm just like, I'm not a daily goal setter. I am a long-term goal setter. And so, but of course, to have long-term goals, you have to 
start doing things now that will actually get you to that long-term goal. So I have, um, so anyway, so that's about that very soon. And for me, that stuff is just so invigorating and exciting. So for uncovering my true happiness or being on my journey to happiness, I am living my best life right now. Like I, I, I'm not the type of person that lives with regrets at all. If, if I don't, if something doesn't feel good, I'll just go that happened in the past. I'm going to do whatever work I need to do to go fix that, whether it be emotionally, a relationship or something like that, because I just, I don't want to live life with regrets. I want to always be a forward thinker, but not, and with that loves to reflect on the past. And I think my past has truly molded me and built me into who I am today. And I love my life. I love my family. I love the business that I do. I love the work that I do because it's, it creates better humans out in the world as well. So, so now that I'm like in this space where I'm like, okay, you got 10 to 15 years left. What do you want to do? What is that big, giant, overarching, crazy goal that you want to still have accomplished through training wheels or any, you know, or my personified leadership course that I have as well? And what do you want that to look like in 10 to 15 years? So so you caught me at kind of a fun place. I'm in the, like, the fire has been lit and I'm now ready to like plan the next phase chapters or goals that I need to do to get there. Cool. I, when you first started talking about your husband and your, uh, what would you call it? The inquiry? Yeah. The art of inquiry or the, yeah. The go into inquiry with me. Go into inquiry. Mm-hmm. I know personally, I am. I am not really good at that. Like mm. I, I, I have to try really hard to just listen, especially to Kira. You know, she's like, she wants to mind dump and I'm like, oh, I got an answer for this. I got right. an that, but she doesn't care about my answer. She doesn't want it. It's just not what she's asking for. And I think that's really cool that you guys have like a, a code word, like, hey. Yeah, we do. And it's not easy because he's my husband and I'm very opinionated on, <laughs> you know, on things that happen. <laughs> and so it, when we go into inquiry, it takes a lot of extra effort and energy to not add your own thing and, you know, and not try to fix their problem or problem solve it for them. It's uh, it's so it is, it's, it's a hard exercise. And yet at the same time, it is a beautiful thing when it's over. Um, because, because it really, it all still came from within you and it wasn't influenced by, um, any other opinions or things like that. So, yeah. Yes. It, it <laughs> so helps. Bill, we're going to start doing that, right? <laughs> yeah. We will. We'll have to bring like a safe word up or something. <laughs> right. Pineapple. <laughs> pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's helping me become a better listener. Mm-hmm. You're not just like listening and try to understand what, you know, it could be Kira, it could be someone else, but like, what are they trying to actually say? These are just words, but what's, what's underneath the words, what's actually going on inside someone's head. And I was wondering if you had any tips or tricks or things that you found helpful in your own relationships where you can, you know, maybe be a better listener or how do you bring up with someone else like, hey, I just want you to listen. Yeah. And, or, or if someone is responding instead of listening, how do you stop that from them just responding like, hey, I don't need that? 
Right. Yeah. Um, I try to use a lot of clarifying and confirming statements, you know, when you are being the, um, you know, the a listener and just asking more questions, you know, clarifying means, so what I heard you say is this, did I get that right? You know, those types of questions. So that really confirms that A, what they said or what came out of their mouth is what they actually intended to say, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. also um, to make sure that I heard it correctly. And so therefore then my next rounds of questions would be more, can you clarify, what did you mean when you said this? Or what would it look like if it did this? So for me, I try, I have a list of questions actually that I wrote out that like, um, that here's my four lead-in questions that I could, that are confirming questions. Um, or confirming statements. And then here's my list of four or five questions that are more clarifying, that more draw more um, out of the actual um, whoever's talking. And so therefore, I, if I have that list in front of me, it can help me shape what my question is so that I don't start throwing in my own, um, like, well, you know, have you thought about this? Well, what about yeah. this? And, um, and whatnot. So the who, what, when, where, how questions are all great ones to just kind of have a, a little list right in front of you that will help you. So that way you don't add in your own comments and opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I visual that. cues, visual cues. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Kira, did you want to ask anything on that? Uh, no, I, I like that. I really appreciate the tip, but I wanted to make sure that we got back to the next question, because mm -hmm. Michelle, you started hinting at it. You answered like where you are on your journey, but it sounds like you're, you, you said you were sort of in a new area. Like you are mm -hmm. transitioning to a more future oriented planning or thought processing or dreaming. And I'm so curious. And I'd love if you could share who do you want to be or where do you want to go? What, I mean, you don't have to give it all away. Sure, sure. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you still want to unfold. Yeah, well, um, I have the curse of a creative brain and it's one of those, like <laughs> I seriously have created like 47 businesses in my head. Um, my poor husband has to be the one to like bring me back down. Um, I'm the dream maker. He's the dream killer sometimes. <laughs> he's like, when are you gonna have time to do that? What financial resources? Like, what is that gonna cost? Like all of those things. Cause I can dream big for sure. So, and it's not just in my professional life. I have a lot of things in my personal life too, that I, you know, I still have some really big goals of things that I want to do there. So, so for training wheels and, uh, and my personify course, you know, where I want those to be in 10 to 15 years are, you know, I have some big stuff for that. I want to create a whole training wheels scholarship program to where um, I want other people, I don't want there to be barriers for people to get into this field. And sometimes there are, um, you know, financially, it's it's difficult for people to sometimes either go to the conferences or to, you know, get the um, the props that they need or things like that. So I want to establish a big scholarship program that that people can apply for to go and make them part of their best selves for for their professional work for what they want to do. So that's one thing that is currently not in place that I definitely want to. I don't even know what it looks like yet, but so that's one of those like future things that I want to definitely be working on. And then from a, on my personal side of things, um, I have, uh, I have two big personal things that are just fun for me. And uh, one is I wrote a novel of a few years ago 
And I did it because I wanted to challenge myself in a different writing style because I have, uh, I've written a lot of books in the team building field and those are more textbooks. They're more how-to books mm -hmm. on how to do team building, how to debrief activities. Uh, here's some activities for recovery and wellness that just work really well with in the group setting. But for me personally, I'm like, I'm a fairly good storyteller and have been for quite a while. And so I thought I would love to craft a story that would hit like the book club market or something like that and um, craft a story that would somehow hit the everyday person mm -hmm. and the story itself would inspire them to, to step outside their comfort zone and go try something new in the outdoors. So my first novel was called The Real Sisters and it was about a group of women fly fishers. And I had never been fly fishing before. So I thought if I'm going to ask other people to step outside their comfort zone and learn something new about themselves, I had to do it first. So that was the whole root of my story. So I, you know, so I chose fly fishing because I'd never done it before. And I wanted to write from the perspective of a, a new begin, a, a new learner that was bad at something. <laughs> so that way I could capture all those raw emotions and, and feelings and things like that. So that was a really fun process for me. It took a lot longer than I thought because, you know, when you're doing something on the side, it's not your paying gig. So your paying gig usually takes precedence over your part, you know, your back burner projects, but that's been something fun. It came out in 2017 and it's done really well. I've been really proud of it. And so my big overarching crazy goal that I would love for that is for it to be turned into a movie. Now that would be fantastic. I would love that so much. So that's a personal goal that I have for that, that I have no idea how to get there. And I will, I will figure it out. I will figure out how to do that. And then the other thing is that I, I purchased my grandparents' homestead back in my hometown of Norton, Kansas, this last year, I purchased it from my mom. It was my dad's parents' house and they built this house in 1939. And so we just purchased it. It's, you know, she's old. She is run down and she needs work. So um, in my little hometown of Norton, Kansas, I love it so much. It, it really transformed uh, or it molded me into who I am, not just my family, but, and I had a, a large extended family that lived there as well. And so, and I just love the people there. It's such a, it's such an amazing little community. And so I have this big, crazy goal that I want to help transform my hometown because it's, you know, it's a rural community that it's, you know, economy has declined. And I mean, there's tons of farmers, lots of, you know, we feed the world from this little community. But if you're not a farmer, there's not a lot of other industry and jobs and things like that as much. There's some there, of course, but, but I would love to help figure out a way to help revive that my little community so I started a little YouTube channel called restoring my roots and that's just something fun I do in the it, you know in my part-time is I'm going to document the restoring of my grandparents house and the property and and uh, and then all the things that I'm doing around the my hometown as well I'm I'm the chamber of commerce banquet speaker this year and I'm gonna go and I've helped the chamber with some brainstorming sessions on what they can do to help bring tourism or businesses and things like that. So that's something that is just really fun for me because I love the people and it's my give back to them for helping provide such an amazing childhood community for me to grow up in as well. Mm. Wow. A lot to talk about there. My first question is how was it becoming a fisherwoman? Fly Fisher woman. Tell us about that. Oh gosh. I was so bad at it when I first got started. 
So what was crazy is when I finally decided I wanted to write a novel, um, I went into inquiry with Paul. Like I came home. So actually why I decided to write a novel was I went to, I'm in a book club. Um, and uh, so I went to this book club. I didn't read the book this month. We have a we have a no guilt book club. Like if you didn't read the book, you could still come because really it's more, we call it life club than we do book club. And we read a book that month called The Friday Night Knitting Club by Kate Jacobs. And truth be told, I didn't read it because it didn't sound like a book like I thought I would like. But we got to book club that night and um, one of my friends, she said, I have the hugest surprise. Kate Jacobs is actually calling into our book club. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's New York Times bestselling author. She's calling our book club. Um, and uh, so anyway, I was just like, now I feel like a total, you know, loser for not, <laughs> for not reading her book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, give me the cliff notes. Like what happened? And so, but that was, that was a transformational experience for me. It was so fun listening to her, how she crafted her story, how she created her characters and all that. And I went home that night and I told Paul, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to write a novel. He was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Um, okay, let's talk about this. Like, when are you gonna have time to write it out? So we went into inquiry. Uh, three hours later, I had crafted this story. He was like, why do you want to write a book? Who's your audience? What do you want the book to do in the world? Like all of those inquiry kind of questions. And at the end of that three hours, I kind of had come to this realization. I wanted to craft some sort of story. I love the outdoors. You know, my adventure therapy days were some of my favorite that work that I did when you're outside in nature. And I just think, I think the outside is the best teacher. Nature is the best teacher. So I thought, well, what is something I've always wanted to do in the outdoors that I haven't done before? So I picked fly fishing. I just thought it looks amazing. Now I've been spin casting before and regular fishing, but fly fishing is completely different. <laughs> and there is technique and there's, it's, there's so many, the flies, the knots, the like, there's so many crazy aspects of it. So we got home from that dinner that night and I just Googled women in fly fishing in Colorado send. And literally there was a beginner women's fly fishing, um, uh, like a beginner women's fly fishing clinic two days later, two miles from my house. Oh, wow. I mean, it was crazy. And so I signed up for it and, uh, and I literally like, I had photos of me and that like, I look ridiculous because I had no idea. Like I didn't have the gear. I didn't like, I didn't know what to do with the fish when I caught it. And like, do I hold it through the net? You don't want to damage the skin. Do you like, and then like, and then I just, I couldn't get the whole, like, you have to like pause one, two, back to one, two, like you have to count. Like there was so much going on in my head that I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I have made a horrible mistake. This is, <laughs> this is terrible. I'm, I'm awful at this. And then I was just like, you know what? This is exactly what you wanted. Yeah. You wanted something that you were going to be bad at because where are you at on your comfort zone right now? You are way outside of your comfort zone. And this is exactly what you wanted. So, so um, now I'm pretty good at it. You know, the more you practice something, the better you get at it. And um, I have found that it is such a respite for me now to go and stand in the river and my brain just it doesn't think about anything else, but where I'm at in that moment. So it's, it's such a great mindfulness activity for me. I don't even care if I catch a fish now it's way better if you do, but like for me, <laughs> but for me, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? What, how do I need to mend this? What do I like? What, where are the fish at? Like it's, it's, it's a beautiful sport and um, man, has it made me a better person just from a, 
helping me step outside my comfort zone to learn something new. Did you catch a fish the first time? I did catch a fish the first time. I did, which then, of course, they, uh, um, you know, you're quote unquote, you're hooked at that point because <laughs> um, the tug, oh, yeah. when you get that little bite on the line, you're like, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a live creature on the other end that I just tricked <laughs> into thinking <laughs> that my fly was the real thing. And you know, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. So now I practice catch and release for the most part because I want to leave those assets there and that that those fish there for future generations to uh to catch so for me personally that's i do catch and release but um unless i'm in alaska and we're salmon fishing and that fish is going to be gone in you know two weeks anyway i'm yeah. then keeping that and i'm going to stock my freezer full of that stuff <laughs> so. i also i grew up spin casting mm. with light rods and small streams and lakes in pennsylvania so i'm very accustomed to that but something I always wanted to do was surf fish. Oh, and nice. Now that we live in Florida, I'm starting to surf fish. Wow. And it is, I've cried so many times. That sounds so hard. You're doing so much at one time then, right? There's just so much going on. Like all the knots, they matter. Oh yeah, they do. Sharks and there's giant <laughs> 50 pound plus tarpon out there. Oh yeah. Everything's big. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to cast under this tree because there's a hollowed out spot. That's where the fish like to hang. Yeah. No, there's just the surf and you have to find the structure. And it's like, what the structure look like? Well, it's sandbars and troughs and rip currents, but how do you even spot them? And yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I love it. It's so hard. I, yeah. I've, I've not caught a single fish in two and a half months. Oh, and now have you hired a guide at all to like help you at all learn like where they live, what to look for, all those things yet? Uh, I met a younger person the other day and I was like grilling him with all the things I needed to grill got him with. Uh -huh. And I got some good pointers. Um, so I'm going to try again. Keep trying, you know, try like once a week. Absolutely. A few giant, giant fish. It, you know, it's, you talk about that strike. Yeah. And it's like, I got a big 10 foot rod and it just bends over and it just starts a strip and drag. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, it's, I'm, my, my blood pressure is going up just thinking about it. Like it's so exciting. Like, oh my gosh, that would be, <laughs> that would be, uh, um, I have not ever done any saltwater type fishing. I've only done Colorado, Alaska, like more streams and rivers. I've not done um, saltwater, any type of saltwater fishing yet. So on my bucket list. <laughs> it's really hard. I can, I can really relate to you of like why I really, why I keep coming back to it because it's so far outside of my comfort zone. Like it's, it's so hard yeah. for me to go out to the beach every day or, you know, when I go there and like, all right, am I going to catch one today? Like, am I going to lose the lure because I didn't tie my knots right or a piece of equipment broke? And am I like, you know, there's so many variables. Yeah. Yeah, and what I love about what you just said, for me, then I'm always looking for, you know, in my training work, team building work, and my leadership work, I'm always looking for the metaphor of what we just did, and then relating it back to the real world. And what you just described, like, that's any, like, that's conflict resolution. It's hard work. And there's so many little details and aspects and all that. That's the same if you were doing um, leadership. Leadership is hard. Like, there's yeah. so many facets to it, and all these little 
you know, you've got the different variables of the people and their behavior preferences and their behavior, you know, personality styles. And, and then you've just got, you know, business in general, and like all these pieces and parts and it's hard, it's uncomfortable. It stretches us. So when we do have those experiences in the outdoors that metaphorically relate, that is just pure gold right there. So, and for me, of course, when I wrote the novel, um, I'm true, you know, first and foremost, an experiential educator. The word experiential is even in my novel. <laughs> like I couldn't help myself, right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but it's pretty cool. And I mean, that night at the inquiry meeting that Paul and I were, um, that we were drawing this novel out of me, that night I had chose five women. I named them, gave them all different ages, professions, personalities, all of these things. And I had not even picked up a fly rod yet. And then when I got to this clinic two days later, then I come to find out there are five main components to a fly rod. And each one of the personalities I had chosen for my five girls, um, each one of their personalities kind of metaphorically matched that all five of the parts in the fly rod. So, so that's, a, that's a big metaphoric um, piece that is woven through the novel as well. It's really, it's really fun. It's a fun. That's movie. awesome. That's <laughs> experiential types. We can find uh, connections and metaphors in almost anything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Michelle, I'm wondering if, because you're so brave, if you would be willing to kind of workshop a little bit with us mm -hmm. on this podcast, sure. um, show an example of how someone might meet their like big dreams because you mentioned when you were talking about the um the the book becoming a movie Oof. you said like that's so big and I don't really know how I'm going to get there but earlier you picked up on something that we do in our worksheet that we give out which is setting up daily weekly monthly and yearly goals that eventually lead to the big dream yeah so are you willing to kind of talk oh, it us right Of course, now? absolutely. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so if I think about, if we take that, that's a big, that's a lofty, lofty goal, right? <laughs> like have a, a story you created turn into a movie. So I do th little things. I'm like, okay, it's a book about, you know, empowering women in the, in the wilderness. It's a book about um, stepping outside your comfort zone. So I'm like, all right, if it's women in, what's funny is my book is called The Real Sisters which is real for the, you know, the fishing reel, there's another group of women called the real sisters that are women in filmmaking. Um, oh. And it's movie reel. So I'm like, so, and of course I didn't know that when I chose the title. And so, um, so little things like that, when you find those connections, like, Ooh, okay. And then I'm like, all right, well, who are the women, female movie producers out there in the world? And guess what? They all have Twitter. Mm. So I'm like, what can you do now? I'm like, like I can tweet them. I actually like, you know, I use the, on my Twitter account, I will sometimes, you can set up your tweets to like go out every once in a while. So like I target a couple of them that I think would be fantastic women that just need to know about my, about my book. Like, so, um, so like Reese Witherspoon is one of them. I actually have a friend of mine whose daughter is in one of her movies or in one of her TV shows. So I have a couple of connections there, which is awesome. So I'll, I'll work that. I'm not going to overstep my bounds by any means, but I'll, I'll play that card when it's the right time. Um, you know, and then I also, um, I, I tweet a couple of others, like who I think would be the right people in the movie to play my five different women. Um, I just tweet that. I'm like, Hey, 
go check out this book. I wrote this book and um, I wrote this book with you, with Sophie. And you were my Sophie. Um, Helen Hunt is my Sophie in my mind. Like the, the character Sophie in my book, that is Helen Hunt. So I tweet Helen Hunt often. And she's like, she's probably, who knows if she actually gets it or not, but you know what? She might be like, okay, I've heard from this woman 17 times now. Who is she? What is this thing? So, so, uh, cause otherwise I'm like, I'm a, I'm a team builder from Colorado. Like who I'm nobody in the filmmaking industry. Right. So I've got to figure out my way to make a splash in an industry that, um, I am that nobody knows me in. And that's where it starts for me. I'm like, okay, that's a big goal, but I got to figure out what are my little ins here and there. So, so that's one of the things that I do um, is I- Can I challenge uh, you real quick on that? Yeah, please do. So with your tweets to Helen Hunt, how are you going to, or how do you provide connection before content? Mm. Um, so what I do also with that is, you know, I also look at women that have done um, both of both Helen and Reese have both done um, movies of women in the outdoors. So Helen is, did the um, the surfer movie with the gal that got her arm um, um, taken out by a shark. She yeah. was in that. She was helped produce and was in that movie. And then Helen or then Reese did um, Wild. Wild. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, so for me, I'm like those two women in particular. Also, I think at their core also have you know the out, uh, there's a connection there with the outdoors anyway so for me those are two that I think those two in particular as to why I chose those two does that answer that question for you a little bit like how instead of like you say you just kind of like tweet like hey read my book oh That's right oh how do I create connection with them um so some of them are um you know like you I I also talk about like how they've inspired me in their work um and so trying to connect with stuff that they've done in the past that also has inspired me. And I'm like, and here, like, so I feel like we, there would be some synergistic energy here for us to, for you to consider. And I really did when I was writing, anytime Sophie in my mind, when I was writing it and I, um, and, and I was like in my head, like I can type with my eyes closed. So when I was like in my head and typing the conversation that we, Sophie would have, like I'm picturing Helen Hunt. So um, so I don't know, I guess, I guess part of it there might be tapping into ego or stroking a little bit of that there, um, you know, may, maybe hoping that that might be the thing that catches attention. So, um, but that's a good question. I like that. I'll dissect that a little bit more as I think about the way that I reach out and communicate to them. I did also like randomly send them copies of the book. Like I did a lot of Google searching to send them, wrote them a nice letter about, um, you know, what I think um, of their work and things like that and trying to connect with, you know, here's what I want the book to do in the world is to empower other people. And so, um, so hopefully that is a connection piece for them as well. Can I give you my two cents? Yes, please do. I think you should find out something about their life that you can use, you can teach them with your, your training wheels or your programs or Find something where you can give it to them for free that they can that you can give to them as mm -hmm. nothing to do with the book. But they're like, wow, Michelle is awesome. She taught me all this stuff about leadership, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I remember she sent me this book. <laughs> mm -hmm. Give and take. Yep, absolutely. Good win-win there. I like it. Uh, you know, it's just my two cents, but yeah. <laughs> 
Awesome. Cool. So I think that was kind of our last question of how you're going to get there. We talked about you tweeting to your potential cast members mm -hmm. and we're on to the bonus question. Okay. So I, so usually I come up with a question. Um, I, sometimes I just make them up, but because we, purchased from you your comfort zone wheelies hmm. i thought it would be great if one of the bonus questions was one of these questions that you've probably seen before but maybe haven't gotten asked yourself absolutely so <laughs> i have here a green question a yellow question and a red question yeah. and you get to choose which one you're gonna answer today absolutely and just so uh, listeners have context the colors of the questions um, kind of relate to the stoplight metaphor. Green are questions that are a little easier to answer. Yellow are a little bit deeper, have a little bit more risk to them. And red are much you know, deeper questions that have a higher level of risk when you answer them. So fire away, I love it. Okay, so actually, could you, do, do you think you'd wanna answer one of each? Yeah, I, yeah, I can do one of each. Cool. Okay, sweet. Yeah. All right. Um, so here is a green question. We'll start with green, a little bit more safe, a little less risk involved. Uh, Michelle, what's one thing you wish you knew how to do? Ooh, that's a good question. One thing that I wish I knew how to do was play the guitar. It is one of those that um, I just know it takes a long time and yeah. uh, and whatnot. My husband even bought me a guitar one time for our anniversary because it's been that thing that I've wanted to do for a really long time. And uh, and I still don't know how to play the guitar. So it's, it's one that I want to know how to do, and yet I haven't put in the time, effort, and energy to learn how to do it yet. But that is still something I would like to do. Yeah, you still have plenty of time to learn as exactly. well. And you have so many goals and so many dreams and, you know, this can go in there somewhere. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you. Let's go to yellow. Is what you're doing now what you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> no. Well, kind of. I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. So when I first went to, um, to college, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. But when I first went, I was in elementary education and I just... I love, I love little kids. I just, I think five years old is a magical age. And so, uh, so anyway, but I remember I got really burnt out in my undergrad. And then I, <laughs> I remember where I was standing on campus when I was walking home from, from, um, from class that day. And all of a sudden I made, I had this realization. It's like, oh my gosh, if you become a school teacher, you will go to school for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do that because I was so burnt out. I remember literally the exact like place on the sidewalk I was when I like pivoted turn and I went straight to the career planning and placement office. And I was like, okay, these are the classes I've taken. I'm going to change my major. I still want to work with kids. Um, what can I go into and still have me graduate on time? And so it ended up being psychology. And after that, I got my first job in adventure therapy and uh, and they had a ropes course there. And it was one of my, I mean, and that was literally 
like the I, a piv, literally a pivotal uh, moment when I pivoted and uh, made a, a different decision in my life that completely transformed and changed the journey that I would have for there on out. So awesome. That's such a great story. And I think like the kindergarten teacher, like the playfulness, the, mm. that's like such a good transferable skill. Yes. You know, it goes right into adventure therapy and also experiential education and facilitation. Love it. Uh, I actually was a preschool teacher myself nice. for a little while. And uh, before I started teaching adults yoga, I taught kids yoga. And so, so many of the things that I learned as a preschool teacher and working with really young kids, both in yoga and in education, I carried with me into teaching and working with teens and adults later on, because the lessons are the same, you know, the mm -hmm. life lessons are like the really important things. They don't change. Right. Just deliver in a different way. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So here's our last question. This is a red question. How have you changed in the last five years? Mm, that is a really good question. I love that question. Um, let's see here. The last five years, I'll say, um, I've actually like been on a big grief journey also in the last like five years and I'm way more comfortable with it now than when I was five years ago. My dad passed unexpectedly and, um, and it, about seven years ago. And I really, so in the last five years, I think I've changed way a, a little bit more from the fact that, I mean, you always know that you're, it's going to be hard when your parents pass, but it's one of those, I had no idea that it would level me in a way than it did. And, uh, and so for me, it has, um, I definitely went through all five stages of grief, like and all of those things. And, uh, but it still is something that I um, work on that is still hard for me. Um, I still have bad days with it. And uh, in fact, last week, there was one day that I just like, oof, I am in a bad mental space day to day about the loss of my dad. And so, so I, I took a mental health day and I was like, you know what, own it and be there and under like reflect on why today. I mean, there was no anniversary, there was no anything like that. And so um, I've also for um, in the last five years, man, those people, I pay attention on Facebook when people um, have lost a parent and mm -hmm. things like that. And, and so I, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I try to be so much better now at reaching out, not just the day in the week of someone's passing, but checking in with people after the fact, because it's the after the fact, everybody else goes back to their normal lives. And when yeah. you are stuck in this place of grief, um, it's, it's hard. And so on Mother's Day and Father's Day, I, I actually keep a running list of, of all my friends that have lost their parents um, throughout the year. And then on Mother's, or two days before Mother's Day and two days before Father's Day, um, depending on how well I know them, I either send them, you know, just a note behind the wall on Facebook and just saying, hey, I know this is going to be a rough weekend for you or something like that. So just be kind to yourself and honor the fact that it's a hard place to be. And, and then for those that are really close to me in my, um, in my close inner circle, I send them a yellow rose bush because that was my dad's favorite flower. And my high school girlfriends did that for me. And it blooms every year on Father's Day. I mean, it's, it is a beautiful thing as that continued memory for 
you know, that hopefully will last for decades in my yard. So, so that's for sure for me, I have definitely changed. That's a behavior I've changed and it's changed me personally as a person um, working through a big loss in my life. So. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing such a vulnerable, on such a vulnerable topic. Um, I share in your grief, um, my dad died two years ago mm -hmm. and um, it's, it's still a process. And um, I've, I've also had a similar behavior change regarding people that I know who have lost someone. And it's, it's been as a result of my own grieving process and how the outpouring of support and condolences happens in that first week as mm -hmm. people are finding out. But I cried myself to sleep for a month straight after that. Oh, yeah. Well after the the calls and texts and messages came through. And you know, fortunately, I wasn't alone and I had support, but some people don't. Yeah. And so if, you know, it's it's really important to follow up. And in the past month, it's been really hard for me um, and Bill. We lost a friend to suicide at the beginning mm -hmm. of August. And a friend to, we lost a friend to an accidental overdose in the beginning of September. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people that we know who were close to those mutual friends, um, I've been trying my best to check in on them and just to share in that grieving process together. Yeah. Like we're still in it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I always try to let everyone know the first year of firsts is the hardest, right? It's yeah. first Mother's Day, Father's Day, first holidays, first birthdays, anniversaries, all of those things. You're like, I don't, I don't even remember the rest of 2013 after my dad died, you know, like it was like, it was, it's such a blur and I, you know, and you're not your same person anymore. Like, I, I just remember like, like even like to my mother-in-law, I'm just like, if I was really unkind last year at any point in time, it was not intentional. Like, it was one of those, like, I just, I have felt like a shell of myself this last year. And like, I'm just not um, consciously aware sometimes of how I'm showing up in the world. So, um, so I try real hard to communicate with people. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be sad and get it out. Like cry, because if you don't, it will manifest itself in some other way that will likely be unhealthy. So find that connection, that support system that are your people that you can talk to. For me, it is my book club girls. Um, it is, I also, my, my friends from high school, we, I went to kindergarten with the same girls I went to high school and college with. So like, I've got deep rooted connections there, but the power, that connection before content, like that, that also sometimes connection is the content also mm. like having that support system you need your life you need your life support systems as well uh, especially through grief and loss um it's it's not it's not it's a roller coaster that is not fun it's not a fun roller coaster so oh yes you're totally right and fortunately we always end the podcast with a happiness quote. Mm. And as, as we know, just to make this point before we go into that, because I didn't transition that as smoothly as I would have liked, <laughs> but 
grief and loss are just as important parts of life as happiness and joy and uh, becoming and birthing and abundance. Um, and we wouldn't feel happiness without sadness. We don't know the depths of love until we have felt loss. So equal parts of the same coin, the yin, the yang, the balance of life as we know it. So just wanted to say that. So we always read a quote. This week's quote is from good old Abraham Lincoln, our 16th <laughs> president of the United States. Folks are usually about as happy as they make their minds up to be. Mm. Michelle, any reactions, thoughts? Yeah, I love that. You know, and I think about, we just take the topic we were just talking about and applying it into that quote. Like I look at my restoring my grandparents' house as another way to keep my dad's memory and my grandparents' memory alive. And that makes me so happy. You know, like that what is remembered, um, it, or that which is lost doesn't have to just be lost. It can be remembered. That would, That is what remembered lives, right? And so that whole, we can be as happy as we want to be, like it brings me joy to restore. It's hard work restoring this house. My gosh, it's, it's crazy hard work. And it brings me joy because I know that it is um, honoring him and my legacy, my history, my ancestors and all of that. And, uh, and, you know, and I could, we could have not done that, right? We could have sold it. We could have like whatever, but you know, so you're as happy as you, as you want to be, as you make yourself be. And for me, that's a way to honor um, my dad and, uh, and everything else. So thanks, Abe Lincoln. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your feelings about that quote, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Well, that is the end, Michelle. You have made it. You did a wonderful job and we really appreciate all of your thoughts and experiences. Of course. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to also thank the listeners for checking in with us and we hope that they've been enjoying our guests as much as we have because it's been a lot of fun. And we also have a worksheet to help you uncover your happiness. It's a free resource that we made for you and it will lead you to find out who you are now, who you want to be, and how you're going to get there. If you'd like the worksheet, there will be a link below. And if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, there will be a way for you to connect with us about that as well. Peace and love. Enjoy your week. Talk to you next time.